Well, this is week three of our series, Juice, and we've been really tackling the key ingredient to healthy relationships. And when we look at relationships, we know that there could be all kinds of ingredients to healthy relationship, but what is that, that catalyst? What is that key component, that, that real, uh, uh, the, the seminal source for healthy relationships? And so as we've been jumping in, we've been realizing that really we see right through Scripture what that key ingredient is, and uh, we're, we're going to unpack part three today. If you've missed the, the first couple of uh, weeks, that's all right. You can check it out online or you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online. I know especially in summertime, a lot of people traveling, a lot of people on vacation, uh, a lot of people are on some beach somewhere and uh, or just in their backyard. Uh, but I want to welcome you. Hey, let's give our uh, everybody watching online a great hand for joining us today. Glad you're with us. And you may not have a worship guide with you online, but everybody hopefully received one when you walk through our doors. Would love for you to pull that out. There's not filling the blanks on the back today, but there is a place for message notes. And I, wanna, I just want to challenge you with something. Um, the Bible's really clear. Jesus says it on the Sermon on the Mount. Those that hear my word and don't do anything with it are like a, a guy who builds a house on sandy foundation. And when the rain comes, that, that foundation, it's, it's worthless. But those that hear and do something with the word, that's like someone who builds a house on solid foundation. Jane and I are in the middle of a building house right now and we're right there at the place where they're digging out the forms and putting the cables in for the post-tension slab and and it's critical that we get this part right the house can may look nice but if the foundation isn't right everything else is in trouble and so one way we not only hear and do but we take hearing to another level this won't necessarily be the doing part but it takes hearing to another level is by taking a little bit of notes and then processing that throughout the week don't let this just be a Sunday Let's take Sunday's message and the time of worship and, let, and let's create handlebars for Monday uh, through Saturday. So let's start with this uh, thought right here. Uh, there's a big difference between a morally good heart and a supernaturally changed heart. One of the premises of the Bible, one of the key premises is you, you can be a good person and be lost. The truth is there's a difference between just doing good stuff and really experiencing a supernaturally changed heart. Last week, I gave an illustration of this little Nerf ball, my son's uh, little Nerf basketball, and how I can change the look of this. I can change the whole uh, outlook and even the structure of this ball a little bit by, by just exerting enough willpower and enough tension. If I, if I put enough restraint on this Nerf ball, I, I can change the way it looks. I can almost even cover it all the way up. Not quite. I can almost cover it all the way up. And many people, when they deal with issues of life, circumstances, the stuff, the junk, maybe stuff that trips them up, things they wish they could handle. They try and exert enough willpower, enough restraint to, to just be a good person and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wear that. I'm not going to be that. I'm not gonna be that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be true this time. I'm not going to lie this time. I'm not going to run out this time. I'm going to face my fear this time. And, and eventually though, there's just not enough strength in your willpower to keep, because the moment you let up, the moment you get tired, the moment you get comfortable, the moment you think, I got that all under control, what happens? Whoop! <laughs> that, that sucker comes right back and you deal with it. And there's not enough willpower, there's not enough bite in your bottom. Some of you have bit your bottom lip off, plumb off, trying to just make it happen. And yet, you're still dealing with the same old stuff. Because willpower never changes a heart from the inside out, it tries to affect your life from the outside. Uh, in. And so the characteristics of a supernaturally changed heart we see through the word of Christ 
And we see that the only way to really get that supernaturally changed heart is what Paul says in Galatians. And he says, I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, some of us like to read that scripture backwards. In fact, we don't even realize we like to read it backwards, but we do when it's all about what we're doing and not about what he has already done. We're reading the scripture backwards. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh and then you'll walk by the spirit. But that's not the way it works. We start in a place of absolute necessity with him and his strength and his spirit. And then as we walk with him, we learn more about him. We get strengthened by the spirit of Jesus. And through that, we have the capacity and the supernatural ability to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because how many of you know, the desires of the flesh are a little, like there's two or three of them. (laughs) Two or three thousand of them. There's just a bunch. Are you with me this morning? There's a bunch of stuff that you'd love to gratify your flesh on. And he's saying, walk by the spirit and you'll not be so quick to try and just, you know, you'll be, you'll be better served to walk by the spirit. And we see that when we walk by the fruit of the spirit, we have the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the willpower, not the fruit of restraint, not the fruit of, of working really hard. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no mother on this planet that said to their child, you are just being too kind. It's like, you know, stop, stop hitting your brother. Stop, stop flicking burgers at your brother. It's, it's more like, hey, There's not any law against these realities. And the way we build these in our lives is not by by straining. It's by starting with a supernaturally changed heart as we walk by the Spirit. Today, we're going to talk about joy. And just to kind of give you, since you don't have fill in the blanks, a little bit of a uh, kind of a a way, an outline or a roadmap for today. So we're going to cover four points, four key points. Here they are. Joy, what it is and isn't. How to sabotage it, like you can assassinate joy and don't even know it. How to safeguard it, and then how to find it if you lost it, all right? So point one, what is it and isn't, how to sabotage it, how to safeguard it, and point number four, how to find it if you lost it. Let's start right here. What it is and isn't. The world will give you fruit from a tree. The same way Adam and Eve had the choice of eating from the tree of life, and he said, avoid the tree at all costs, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's fruit there. It tastes good when you eat it, but it's the fruit that leads you to destruction. And many people are choosing the fruit from the wrong tree. So, So when we think of joy in this culture, it's a completely different fruit. It's a completely different tree, completely different fruit. So joy, number one, is not happiness. Yet in every single commercial, your life will not be happy unless you have the new whatever bacon burger. Or you will not be complete until you drive this or buy that or finally get the Ab Electrocutor 3000. You just won't quite be happy until you've experienced. Joy is not happiness, yet the world is peddling happiness. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> Joy is not happiness. Here's, here's, let's, let's define happiness to, to understand it better. Happiness is the confidence I experience from gaining control of my life to keep my circumstances favorable. If I can, with enough willpower, gain control of my life, okay, 
And in order to make my circumstances better, I gain control, and that is the, the combination or the formula to be able to enjoy in life favorable circumstances. And that sounds good and sometimes works just like that, but it isn't always like that. So sometimes, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take control of my eating habits because I want, I want my life to have favorable circumstances, not be dictated by this habit so that I can enjoy more life or longer life or different things over here. And so I'm going to take, I'm going to say, because I really want to be happy because right now where I am, I'm just not very happy. Relationship, I'm going to take control of that relationship because if I get, if I can exert enough willpower, I can take control of that relationship and it will, it will help the relationship. It will have favorable circumstances. You know what? All we need is a vacation. Let's just take a vacation. We're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of the junk. I know, yeah, the credit cards are piling up. Don't even open it. Don't open the bill. Don't open the bill. I'm not saying that for you not to. I'm saying that's what some people say. Okay. Don't open the bill. Let's just go on vacation. La, 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 la. Don't even tell me. You know, people just tend to throw, Jan and I, we're, we, we drove by the church and there was all this trash in front of the church a couple Saturdays ago. And like, you know, guess what? Just because you're the pastor and you preach doesn't mean you can't pick up trash. And nobody else is out there to do it. And so we said, hey, stop the car. We got to get this trash. It looks horrible in front of the church. So we grab it. And you know what? It, it, we started collecting it. It was, it was mail for months, months ago that had not been opened. It hadn't been opened. What's even funnier after I opened it, no, I'm kidding. Uh, what's even funnier, not even funnier, it's actually more sad, ton of bills, ton of bills. A big old thing for, from, from uh, I don't even want to say what it's from. Big old stuff, like important documents, legal documents. It hadn't even been opened. That, that girl knows what I'm talking about. And so, so we had major stuff right here that was in the trash instead of being actually opened and dealt with. And what I want to say to you is when the circumstances change, happiness goes along with those changing circumstances. But yet the, the world will say there's all these components to happiness if you have these things. New York Times, Amy Bloom wrote, us, wrote this piece on happiness and she quotes happier.com. And uh, basically it gives you five surefire components of happiness. You want to know what they are, what the world says. If you got these surefire components, you'll be happy. Here, here they're broken down. Uh, number one, possess the basics. And that's food, shelter, and safety. Number two, got to get enough sleep. You want to be happy, got enough sleep. Um, you know, this one's a Snickers commercial. You're not you when you're hungry. You really want to be happy, you know, possess the basics. Get enough sleep. That's the sleep number bed. That's the Zipa, which is happy spelled backwards, a little thing you put in your mouth to keep you from snoring. Um, Janice bought me seven of them. And uh, <clears throat> relationships that matter. You can't just have any relationships. You got to have relationships that matter. You really want to see happiness in your life. You got relationships that matter. Number four, care of others and yourself, transcending care for yourself and caring for, for others. Um, and then number five, a work place or work that really excites and engages you. <laughs> okay. So like some of you are scoring like a two out of five or a three out of five or a four out of five. Maybe you got all five, but here's the deal. Half of the entire globe is doomed for, for, with no happiness. If this is really the litmus test for happiness. Half of the globe doesn't know where that next food is going to come from, that next meal. Half of the globe, work, 
They're just trying to survive. Getting enough sleep? Bombs are going off in the middle of the night? Surefire components of happiness works great in, a, in an environment where all these things are even capable of. But even when you're in an environment, you know stuff happens externally to you, around you, to others around you that can wipe these off the list and your happiness is gone as quick as you can erase the list because of this word right here, suffering. Because happiness is, is not just, it's on favorable circumstances. And when suffering takes place, when suffering comes knocking on your door, when a deal of pain, when things didn't work out the way you thought they should, when, when, when you prayed and the answer you have gotten so far is not the answer you were looking for, when there's an unexpected turn of events, suffering happens. How would you define suffering? Let's, let's define it like, like this. Basically, it's simple. Favorable circumstances going away. So if happiness is all about gaining control of your life to be able to get these favorable circumstances, suffering is when those favorable circumstances aren't anywhere to be seen anymore. And that creates the, the, the bedrock, that creates the soil wherein we suffer and we suffer seriously. There is suffering in this world. There's suffering in the non-Christian, in the Christian. Do not eat the fruit from the wrong gospel, Paul says. There's a gospel out there that will say, if you give your heart to the Lord and you give just enough in the offering, then man, I'm telling you, everything else will work out. Put your seed in the offering, do all this. That, that's, that's, that's not a, that's called prosperity gospel. That's perverted gospel. You just need to understand that. That, that, that kind of relegates God to some kind of uh, slot machine and you're on your way to spiritual Shreveport and if you can just pull on the slot machine and just... That out pops Mercedes keys, out pops all the health, wealth, and prosperity you could ever have. And the truth is, that's, that's, base, that's basing your happiness on external things. That's not the purest form of, of real gospel. So favorable circumstances going away, we're going to suffer. But here is the paradox of suffering. Here's what's crazy. Here's what's nuts about suffering. It shouldn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense when you really put it against the word of God. When you really understand what Jesus is trying to do in your life and what he's doing all throughout scripture, there's this paradox of suffering and here it is. Suffering is a catalyst for joy. Suffering is this catalyst that doesn't kill your joy. It actually has the capacity to strengthen, give, give, give a boost of octane to your joy. And how you approach a suffering, how you approach a hurt, how you approach the favorable circumstances going away will determine whether you can experience true joy or not. So this is, this is the moment of the sermon where we're going to kind of just push happiness over here for a minute, okay? It's not about being happy. It's not about happiness and favorable circumstances. This is about understanding joy, the joy of the Lord, which really will be your strength in the middle of any kind of suffering you ever face. Sounds good, but how do we, how do we wrestle with that? How do we apply it to, to Tuesday? Well, look what the Bible says. Paul says in really the constitution for the Christian, like the biblical constitution, the book of Romans gives us like a pattern of how we're to structure our lives, how we're to live our lives. And, and in, in Romans, Paul, the apostle says, through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith. We can't quite see it 
don't really even know, but, but it's, it's, it's hope based on stuff we can't see, certain and stuff that, that hasn't even happened yet. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So it's not about what I could ever do to gain access to the grace of God. It's the grace of God that gives me, and I just have to have faith in what he's done. And he goes on to say, and when you stand here in the grace of God, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice, we rejoy, we re-engage our joy, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not all the time are you going to see clearly in a circumstance how God is moving, what God is going to do. Sometimes his answer is silence. And how do you process that? We stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God no matter what circumstances come our way. Now he goes on to say, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our what? That's got to be wrong. That can't be right. Is that right? Yes, it's right. Not only that, we rejoice, we rejoy, we re-engage our joy in our sufferings. Knowing, knowing that suffering produces endurance. When you suffer, it can endure a perseverance that no other crucible can, can produce in your life. No other, no other lesson can teach you what suffering can teach you. No other lesson can teach you what, 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 what uh, or no other lesson can give you perseverance like going through the junk, going through a trial. And that perseverance produces character and that character produces hope. Just on Thursday, once uh, first Thursday of the month, we have staff chapel and leadership development day. And our pastoral team and staff team get all together. We have a time of worship and prayer, prayer over one another, prayer over the church, prayer over uh, the needs of our community. Uh, we uh, spend this time in worship and prayer because sometimes when you're working in the church, you can kind of get to the day-to-day -day routine instead of really taking time and surrendering and worshiping God. And, and we do that, and then we go through some teaching. We had a guest worship leader come with us, one of our very own, Carly Duplachain. She leads worship here on our team every once in a while. And Carly Carly's mom is going through the fight for her life. She's going through the fight, fight of her life with cancer. And here Carly is in the chapel with a guitar in her hand, leading us in worship. And the song she chose seemed to be so personal to her, but really meant a lot to us as well. Because it, it, was, it was about, you know, hey, you have no rival. Your name is, what a beautiful name it is. The, the songs were trusting in God in the middle of what you can't see that you'll still trust. And there was just a beautiful, uh, beautiful presence behind the worship on that Thursday. And after she was done leading us in worship, I asked her to come and sit down on the edge of the stage. And she told us about her mom who has got this cancer and they've just done a stem cell uh, plant into her and, and the chemotherapy. And she just, you know, when you see a before and a current picture, Picture is tough. She's going through the fight of her life. And yet I said, Carly, how are you making it? What, how are you doing? And, and she just says, you know what? This is pushing me to the place where I can't, I just can't go through the day without worshiping. And I found that, the, that this is just, it's stirring my heart so much more to be closer to God. That's, that's, what, that's what pain does to us. It's what it has the capacity to do. It can push you way away you, 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 can, you can scowl at God, why God this, that, or it can press you into an atmosphere where you can rely more and that produces perseverance. 
And even though her mom is sick right now, you know what? I can't pray for everybody who's sick in the room today. God knows your need. And I wish we could take that time and just do that. But, but would you just pray with me for Carly's mom for a moment? And Jesus, all kinds of needs represented in the house, but we just pray that you would do what only you can do in her life. We pray that you'd heal her body. I know that there are sick people in the room today, Father. And I pray that, that they would embrace your joy through the middle of this suffering and that you too would touch their lives, family members' lives, those that are in the hospital, those that are hurting, those that are dealing with um, an, an issue that, that just is, is, is taxing, just taxing. I pray that you would touch them right where they are and also touch Carly's mom in Jesus' name. Amen. And so do you see this cycle? It's a vicious, I, I, you know, I didn't say this in first service, but it makes sense. Vicious, but delicious. It's, it's, it is a vicious, but beautiful cycle that when we go through suffering, we get endurance. Endurance develops character, which is the granite of our emotions and attitude. And that character produces hope. But go back to that scripture here. Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. So it starts with hope, it ends with hope, and knowing the only way to get more hope is actually go to the process of developing more hope, and that doesn't really happen without moments that your life comes into contact with tough stuff. So we've talked about happiness, we've talked about suffering. What is joy then? How do we get joy, all right? The definition of joy that we'll use for today is the assurance I experience from knowing and trusting God. Not just knowing God, trusting God regardless of my circumstances. That no matter what I faced yesterday, today, no matter what's on the horizon for tomorrow, because it's not about my willpower and restraint to be a good person and feel happy and make myself happy, it comes from knowing and trusting God regardless of whatever circumstance I'm facing. See, the world will say it like this in happiness and joy. Happiness depends on happenings. Whatever happens, joy is my job. It's not the happening's job, it's my job to choose to trust and know God in the middle of whatever I'm facing. Happiness starts from the outside, stuff that affects me from the outside in. Joy does what? Look, starts from the inside and affects my out outward appearance. Not, not my outward appearance, my outward reflection of what's going on around me. Happiness based on chance, who knows what'll happen. You might be happy, you might not. You know, roll the dice and marry her, son. We'll see. Joy is based on a choice, based on choice. Happiness is rooted in circumstances, and joy is rooted in Christ. Now, I mean, you, you haven't really seen it like this, maybe, uh, but think about when your mom or a parent said, you can't, stop, stop eating that candy before dinner. You'll ruin your appetite. Anybody ever had that said to them? Don't eat that right now. Don't eat that later. You're going to ruin your appetite. You're not, we, we, were, we were in uh, Houston this, uh, yesterday as a family, and, and we were sitting down at a little Italian restaurant, and my son was complaining, I don't want to eat. I'm full. My stick sick to my stomach. I don't want to eat anything else. Dad, I can't eat another bite. I'm full. I'm done. And as he's sitting there throwing this, you know, not really tantrum, but just not wanting to eat anything, uh, I said to him, hey, you know that... This restaurant makes homemade Takis. You know, those chips that are really hot, you know, that you eat enough of them and you throw up in the middle of the night? <laughs> um, you know, those. And then when your kid throws up in the middle of the night because they ate too many Takis, you, 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 you hear them crying, you walk in there and it looks like they've, you know, thrown up blood everywhere. Anyway, don't want to get too graphic. Too late. I said, son, they make homemade Takis here. He went, what? 
because we, we have banned Takis in our house for right now because it's just too, you know. And he said, what? They made, I said, yeah, yeah, they make Takis here. Said, really? I said, you want some? Yeah. I said, you're not full. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not, you're not done. You know, you just got full on the other stuff you were, you were snacking on throughout, throughout the day. So mom says, don't snack on the junk food. You're not going to be ready for supper because once supper hits, you've got this sugar fix that basically tells your body you don't need anything else. But when the sugar fix is over, what's your body craving? Like it's either craving the right things or it's craving more sugar. And it's a vicious cycle, vicious and delicious cycle. And here's what it looks like. Like, look, look, listen, listen, favorable circumstances our spiritual sugar. They, they may last for a little bit, but when the favorable circumstances go away, your body longs to either crave more favorable circumstances or crave the right nutrients that will really nourish your soul. And if you're trying to get your nourishment off the spiritual sugar rush of favorable circumstances, it won't last. It's guaranteed not to last. So our joy, our, our cravings have got to be steeped in who Jesus is and a supernaturally changed heart that's walking by the Spirit. So how to sabotage it? Let's give these real quick. How to sabotage your joy? Number one, selfishness. You be about, look, I like talking about you, 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 you usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me. Selfishness, we all deal with it. It's like the chief deal. Pride is like the chief sin. And it's all about me. It's all about self. You know, sometimes I'll hear a spouse say, you know, my husband or my wife, my wife is so selfish. But when they're saying that, they're actually saying it from a standpoint of selfishness. The reason they're frustrated that their spouse is selfish is because their spouse isn't treating them the way they wanted to be treated and they're dealing with unfavorable circumstances. And so based on their unfavorable circumstances, all they can see is the selfishness of their spouse and they can't see their own need to come back to Jesus, to come back to it. They cannot make me happy and really make it joy because those circumstances aren't going to last. They're, gonna, they're not going to be perfect husbands, not going to be a perfect spouse. And what can happen is this cycle of selfishness, even when you're pointing out someone else's selfishness. What you have to do is come back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to set that aside. And you and me are going to work on me. God, it's you and me. You work on them. Let's work on us. And that's where we begin to understand. We fight and combat selfishness. James 3, wherever there's jealousy or selfish ambition, there'll be disorder and every other kind of evil. There's just going to be frustration in your life when you're dealing with selfishness. Number two, another way to sabotage joy, resentment. Hanging on to that junk. I, will, I forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, you, you, you're right. You're, never gonna, you're, you're not probably going to forget. But, but hanging on to I won't forget can actually produce bitterness and resentment in your life. You know, it's an old saying. I've heard it dozens of times even from this stage, but it's so true, it's worth repeating. And that is resentment or bitterness is like drinking a cup of poison and expecting someone else to die over it. Because bitterness produces the junk in our life and actually makes us sick from the inside out. And all we're trying to do is get back at that person and we're killing ourselves softly from the inside. 
Hebrews, the author says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up like a, like a nasty weed, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Oh, don't sabotage your joy by saying, okay, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But that sucker, that, that, that jerk over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He better not be on the tracks when the train's coming through. <laughs> Uncontrolled emotions. Selfishness, resentment, uncontrolled emotions. That's just the way I am, Jeremy. I get a little angry, chip off the old box. Dad was angry, grandpa's angry, great, 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 great granddaddy. We're from the Hatfields and McCoys, in fact, and we just get mad. We're just angry, we're just angry. Okay, that's maybe who you are. That may be who you are. That is not who God designed you to be. He designed you to be, go beyond being defined by your out of control emotions. In fact, can I, can I say it like this? From anger to bitterness to fear to insecurity to sadness, you name it, out of control emotions will not produce God-honoring fruit in my life. When, when we just let our emotions run us instead of us handling our emotions, that will not produce the kind of fruit that will be God-honoring in our lives. So how to safeguard it? We don't want to sabotage it by those things. How do we safeguard it? Number one, focus on giving rather than the getting. You may, it's better to give than to receive, but the truth is many times we're looking for the favorable circumstances again and we don't even realize it. So when we're praying, we're praying for favorable circumstances and that's okay. Listen, I've prayed some hard prayers for, for friends and loved ones to get healthy, to be better, to, for the cancer to die and for them to be healed and the healing came on the other side of heaven instead of this side of heaven. And so the favorable circumstance I would have chosen would have been for them to be healed on this side of heaven, but they're in their brand new body on the other side of heaven. And so what I have to do is I have to, I have to be ready to focus on the giving, the trust to God, the knowledge of God, you're bigger than I am, instead of just receiving or the getting of what makes me feel better at the time. That's where joy can produce when we're more about giving rather than the getting. Second Peter, learn to put aside your own desires. So just become patient and godly. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy, to you to engage, to walk in joy, other people, and to like them. Isn't that great? Look, look watch this. Other people didn't like them. And, and finally, you will grow to love them deeply. I know there's some people you like, but you have not grown to love them yet. In fact, there's some people you don't even like and you you, you're trying to love them, you don't even like them. But that doesn't even happen until you enjoy other people. And the only way you enjoy is to find that from Jesus, not by restraining the Nerf ball of your heart. You grow to love them deeply, but you've got to put aside your own desires, Peter says. Here's a statement that I think is is not said enough in a lot of relationships. How can I help? Now, you, 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 I know we all can say this. Someone says, man, I don't know what I'm This is that, this, this, we're going through this. And I know all of us have the tendency to say this statement and I've said it before, I'm guilty. And, and, and it's an okay statement, but it's just not, I don't think it's, I think there's a better statement. The statement is, if there's anything you need, let me know. In other words, right now, I don't want to commit to anything. <laughs> But back in the day, when you get in your car, hopefully you'll forget to even ask me. Because once you leave and you're back to your life, 
I'm expecting you to really not call me. Now, I know that if you've said that just recently, you said, well, that's not true, and it's okay. I'm not judging your heart. If your heart is pure, your heart is pure. What I'm saying, what I would suggest to all of us, including myself, is to swap that phrase out. If you need anything, let me know, to how can I help? How can I help? To be ready, to be active in helping, to, to give rather than get, and to truly, to truly put others above ourselves. How can I help. Number two, and this is a three-part statement here. We got to fill the gap with a trust in his provision. Okay. Got to fill the gap with trust in his provision. There is a gap that all of us live in. In fact, everybody take your right and your left hand, okay? We're going to do this. There's a gap right here, okay? Put your, put your hand up like this, okay? And put your other hand right here, Okay? All of us live within this gap, all right? Here's the gap. You know what the gap is? Here's the gap. This is expectations. And you know what this is down here? Reality. Now keep them up, keep them up. Don't get tired. Here we go, here we go. So you got expectations of marriage. And this is marriage. So you're, okay, you can set them down. So you're, you're, you're dating this girl. Man, oh, my heart's on fire. Fuego in their corazón. <laughs> and I mean, you, you, you're dating and it's going great and all this cool stuff. And, and I mean, when I met Janet, oh, fuego. It just, just, it just, and, and we get married and there's this expectations. Even before you have kids, you know, you know you've done this. So, so shut up. I mean, you know you've done it. You said, you said in Walmart, the kids throwing themselves on the ground because they want Oreos and the mom's just standing there going, I don't know whether to give them the Oreos or kill them right now or, and you look at your spouse and you say, when we have kids, we're going to lay down the law. We're going to lay down. fast forward five years later, right? I want the Oreos. And you're going, kill them, give them what? Expectations of how you raise your children and reality. Expectations of marriage, if it's going to be awesome, she's going to, you know, whatever, you know. All I'm, all I'm going to have to do is if there's ever a difficulty, all I've got to do is say, the Bible says submit, woman, and everything will be fine. <laughs> and, then, and, then you, and then you try and quote that scripture. Well, the Bible says submit, woman, and she's like. <laughs> and you're walking backwards, doing the moonwalk like Michael Jackson. There's, there's expectation and reality. And what happens in marriage and in business and in uh, uh, finances and, and in life is we spend all of it having to navigate that gap between expectation and reality. And I'm inviting you that when it comes to Jesus, fill the gap of your expectation and reality of your own circumstances with trust in his provision trusting that in the middle of favorable circumstances going away, I will trust that God is my provider. God is good. God does have a plan. God is faithful. God has never left me or forsaken me. He's not going to start in 2017. God can do this. I know he can. You got to fill the gap with this vision. Look, here's what else. Over a suspicion of his power. Because that's the second thing we love to fill the gap with. We don't fill the gap with trust very often. We like to fill the gap with suspicion. Look, here's how it works. Let me just give you from a, from a leader's standpoint. If I call a staff meeting and I got two of my staff that are 10 minutes late to a meeting, 
Will I fill the gap with trust or suspicion? It is my tendency, instead of saying, oh, man, they must have been caught up or, man, something very serious must have just happened. Oh, I hope they're okay, man. I hope there wasn't a roadblock. I wonder if there was a funeral. I'm not, oh, man, I'm sure they would have been here right on time had, had there not been something that came up. But what do I tend to do? They don't trust. Do they not respect me around here? I mean, 10 minutes, you can't, you can't be here on time, right? Now, here's what happens. If I'm late to a meeting, don't I expect them to fill the gap with trust? So like if I'm walking in late, they'll say, well, they should know I love them. They should know that I'm not trying to, to, to waste their time. They should know I would have been here on time if I didn't, uh, hadn't had this come up. I expect them to fill the gap with trust. Why then when they're not on time, I'm filling the gap with suspicion. I mean, listen, figure this out, marriages. Fig figure this out, relationships. If you can figure out how to fill the gap with trust instead of suspicion, it's going to change a whole lot in your life. But moreover, your relationship with Jesus, many times when the gap is created through suffering or unfavorable circumstances, we say, where is God? Why didn't God? How come God? And so many people walk away because they haven't filled the gap with trust. And that's where joy comes from, knowing and trusting him. Regarding, regardless of the circumstances, they don't trust and they fill it with suspicion. Is God even God? Is this even something we can rely on? I don't even know anymore. And I've seen so many people make huge missteps because they don't fill the gap with trust. They fill the gap with suspicion from relationships, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. But fill the gap with trust in his provision over a suspicion of his power in the midst of your problems. You do that, you're on your way to safeguarding joy. Trust in God at all times. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. So the final thought today, how to find it if you lost it. Because all this is great for the Christian. All this makes sense to us. Yeah, 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 you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. We're gonna face suffering, okay, I get it. But like, you're not, you're not... It's like you're not experiencing joy these days. The assurance of God in the middle of the hell on earth you're facing. How do you regain that? How do you pick up? How do you pick up the pieces? How do you, how do you find it if you've lost it? How do you help someone else find it if they've lost it? Can I tell you, it's not, it's not by just biting your bottom lip and just saying, don't worry, be happy. No, just you know, come on, man, suck it up. Not gonna work. You gotta remind yourself in moments where you feel like you've lost your joy. God is with me. He's with me. I'm walking by the Spirit, next to, with, alongside. It's a partnership relationship. God is walking with me. You know what I love? The angels declare to the crowd that's a little freaked out at the coming of Christ and all the, the sounds of angelic choir and the lights and, and heaven coming to earth there when Jesus is, is born uh, in, in, a, in a cave. The angel says this in Luke chapter two. The angel reassured those that were flipping out a little bit on what was going on. Here's what they say. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great, what? Joy to all people. 
we can find joy in the reality that God did not stay separated from some golden wall in heaven, but he is with us. Emmanuel is one of his names, and it's a true name. He's with us. And the good news of Jesus is not just salvation from your sins, but good news is not only salvation, but he brings great joy when we understand the good news. You don't get great joy just by doing the right thing. You can feel good about doing the right thing. But when you do the right thing based on the good news of Jesus and what he's done, that brings great joy. You got to remind yourself, not only is he with me, God paid a price for me. We must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. He saw the what? Joy ahead of him. So he endured death on the cross. Would you call death on the cross a favorable circumstance? Of course not. Probably not very happy about it. In fact, he wasn't happy about it. He was sweating droplets of blood hours before it. But for his joy ahead of him, or for his joy to be complete, another version says, he endured the death of the cross. So the joy that he gives to us that grows in suffering, it wasn't even produced until he made it complete by suffering for you. So when you go through suffering, it's not like your friend that says, yeah, I know you're going through it. Man, I, I know how you feel. You, no, you don't know how they feel in that moment, regardless of what you face. But can I tell you, Jesus does know because he's endured everything you could ever possibly in your lifetime endure. And that should give us joy. God has accepted me. <laughs> All of the world's religions, they're designed like this. Live like you ought. And if you do that long enough, I might accept you and approve of you but you better live like you ought. That's the religions of the world, I'm telling you. You live like you ought to live. Do what you ought to do. And by doing so, you might gain the favor and acceptance and approval of that God or those gods. Jesus comes and flips the entire understanding of relationship with a God on its ear. He comes as a servant. What kind of God is born in a feeding trough. He serves, he suffers. Here's the deal. God flips that whole deal and he says, I accept you. I approve of you because you're my creation. And there's nothing you can do to earn all that. I accept you and I approve you. I approve of you. Based on that, live like you ought. Based on that, live like you ought. Flip it around and embrace the acceptance and love of Jesus. You can't do that on accident. You have to truly surrender to him with your words and with your heart, you surrender. But then from that, you live like you ought. Look at this. God shows his love for us. Here's how he shows it. While we were still all in our junk, while we were still sinners, he died for us. 
Look at this. This is love for God. You really want to love God? You want to love God? Here's love for God. Here's what love for God looks like. To obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. But they're not burdensome only if you start from the place of a supernaturally changed heart. If you're trying to do all the good things, it's going to be burdensome. If you're just trying to live a good life and be a good person and now, you know, make sure that you pay your taxes and make sure that you don't say that and make sure that you, you know, you're a, de- you know, hey, hey I might go to church every once in a while, drop something in the offering. Great. Oh, feed one. I'll, I'll drop a $10 bill in there. Man, I just fed a kid. You know, you, you do all this, it's going to be burdensome. But if you live on the other side of the comma first, if you live on the other side of this passage first, this is love for God. Love God. Love God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Start there. And a supernaturally changed heart will be produced in you so that you can obey his commands and they're not that burdensome anymore because you start with love. Let me finish with this and we'll be done. If you had a neighbor house sitting for you, you went on a little much needed vacay and you come back and your neighbor says, hey, uh, postman came by with a bill um, and I, I, I just wanted you to know I paid it for you. How would you respond to them paying that bill? First of all, you'd probably say, why are you opening my mail? <laughs> but that's not part of the story, okay? So just forget that. Let's say the bill that came due was actually just the postman saying, this is a letter, you didn't, you didn't put a stamp on it. You, you owe the money for the stamp. And so you, I, pay, I paid the, I, you know, I paid the 30 some cents or whatever, just to let you know. How are you gonna respond to that? I, I guess you would say, thanks man, I appreciate that. And you would move on with your life. You probably wouldn't even put your hand in your pocket to say, I think I got 30 some cents in here, let me pay you back. You'd probably, oh thanks, I appreciate that. It's why, it's a stamp for crying out loud. But let's back up the story and let's say the house sitter says, hey, IRS guy came by, had a bill and had a cop with him. And they're looking to arrest you because you are way in back taxes. You got thousands of dollars that you owe. They've been trying to get a hold of you and it is what it is, you know. I paid that bill for you. Now how would you respond? I mean, fill in the blank for whatever kind of illustration you want to use there. But if there was something that was paid that was very, very important, if it was big enough, it was deep enough, your response probably be grabbing them and saying, thank you. Wow. I can't believe you paid that for me. Whoa. Thank you. And when you can understand that he's with us, he paid a price that you couldn't pay and that he accepts us while we were still sinners, that should stir in us a desire to surrender to him and let Jesus change us from the inside out. That's when we'll really face joy and see joy and know joy and live in joy, which the joy of the Lord becomes our strength.